Welcome to The Deep Dive. I'm your host, Philip McKenzie. I'm an anthropologist strategist with a focus on culture and humanity-centered design. I'm Brooklyn-born and Brooklyn-made. Every week, I will bring you guests from a wide variety of backgrounds who, despite their different areas of expertise, share traits in common. They aim high, push boundaries, and make things happen. Their experiences drive insights. My guest today is Clover Hope. Clover is a Brooklyn-based writer and editor who's been published in Vibe, Essence, XXL, L, Billboard, Wired, New York Times, Vogue, W, ESPN The Magazine, GQ, Cosmopolitan, just among a few publications. And actually, I don't know if there's any I haven't named because she stays published. Hope has held editor positions at Billboard, XXL, Vibe, and Jezebel. She was a co-writer on Beyonce's The Lion King visual album, Black is King. She's currently a contributing editor at Pitchfork and an NYU adjunct professor. And we're going to be talking about her first book, which I'm super excited about, The Motherload, which is a comprehensive history of women rappers. And it's out right now. And I want to thank you, Clover, for being on The Deep Dive. Thank you so much for having me. You know, we were talking a little bit before we actually started recording, and I was sharing with you just how excited I was and am to have this conversation because as I was reading through the book, and before I finish that thought, the book is beautiful. And whenever I get books that are not only great reads and informative and important, but also beautifully designed. I always want to give an extra shout out to the actual layout and design of the book because you can tell that a lot of thought and creativity went into the actual product itself. So both, they say you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but this is a book you can safely judge by its cover. The book is beautiful. So brief editorial on the design of that. But, you know, I felt as I was going through the book, it was almost like going through my childhood and relationship with hip hop, because at the age that I am, literally grew up with hip hop. I say that hip hop is the first music that was my music. It wasn't my parents' music. It wasn't my older sister's music. It was intrinsically my music. Every time I flip the page, I just got a big smile reading the book. So I want to start off really at the very beginning, because you make a statement that's part of the intro that I think is a really important way to frame this conversation which is you open up with this statement, nice for a girl. And I want to let you explain why you thought that was an appropriate place to start. Yeah. Well, first, thank you so much. And I'm glad you got that feeling of nostalgia and kind of reflecting on how this culture raised you in a way or how you were kind of raised on this culture. Maybe that's better said. Because that was kind of, you know, as I was writing it, that was something that I wanted people to get out of it while flipping through it. So I'm glad that came across. And it was also something that played into that first essay. The first essay, Nice for a Girl, is essentially starting with Roxanne Shantae and kind of like her foray into rap through battle rap and talking about like how she did this competition and she got scores from most of the judges, like high scores, like this battle rap competition. And Curtis Blow gave her a lower score. And years later, she didn't win that competition, but people kind of told her she was nice for a girl, basically. And years later, she told this story and she talked about how 
that stuck with her. Obviously, it was a really big kind of point in her career where she realized that as good as she could be as a rapper, as good as she was as a battle rapper, she was still like in a separate category. And so I wanted to start the book off with on that note, you know, we have this rapper label and then the female rapper label. And since the beginning, for the most part, because, you know, Roxanne Chante was part of that early big bang of hip hop. It's been that way where it was kind of like this separation. And yeah, I wanted to start on that note and really kind of like delineate that women have played a role in creating this culture, creating hip hop, but at the same time are not really seen as co-creators. And really the idea of this book is to push back on that and to really position them as creators, to position them as players and not sideline players. (laughs) And to say that you can actually, like you can tell this story of hip hop through women. Like you can tell the story and, you know, have it be compelling and have it and get kind of all the touch on all the kind of like peaks and valleys of hip hop through the women who experienced it and the girls who grew up on it. So I was writing from the perspective of a girl growing up on hip hop. And you raised like so many interesting points because as you were explaining that essay and Roxanne Shantae's experience with, with Curtis Blow, I started thinking about also this notion that exists really a larger society where we make these differentiations between the men who do something and the women who do something. And and maybe it's a culture that's also very adjacent to hip hop when I think about basketball culture, right? When a woman is a good basketball player, they'll be like, oh, she's got a good handle for a girl, right? Like that would be- Everyone thinks they can beat like a W, every guy thinks they can like beat a WNBA player in (laughs) one-on-one. It's like so funny. Yeah, which would never happen. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And you watch guys who like brick it up in the gym, <laughs> but they still feel like they could do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like there's a mirror going on where hip hop in a way is taking on some of the same misogyny that exists within the larger culture. So I'm curious, how did you weave through that as you were researching and thinking about the book? I really wanted to make sure that I touched on those larger themes with each entry. So it's broken down in chronological order, not exactly, but like by who was popular at that time from the 70s through 2010s. And um, I wanted to kind of, with each entry, with each woman, make sure that I was kind of, one, touching on a larger story within hip hop. So what was going on in hip hop at that time? So for Roxanne Chante, it's battle rapping. And for someone like Queen Latifah, MC Light, they were really at that point in time in hip hop where they were battling against misogyny. And so within that, you know, I also wanted to touch on larger societal issues that were going on at that time also. So on Peppa, their album is dropping in the middle of like a larger national feminist awakening. And so what does that mean when they're putting out these songs that are like a shoop that is very subversive and is them kind of coming on to men and putting out a song like Tramp where they're calling guys, you know, promiscuous and they're kind of flipping the tables. I wanted to make sure that I examined how like their place in hip hop and then also their their place in like the larger kind of like story of just American culture in general and America in general. And so a lot of those, like it was an intent to kind of like build those themes in, even talking about like Trina 
bringing in just kind of, you know, I wanted to bring in how when she was out, like that was when hip hop was really becoming like the dominant genre in terms of financially. 1998 was the year that hip hop surpassed country as the top selling genre. And that was when hip hop was like flourishing. That was such a huge turning point in terms of hip hop becoming capitalist and it becoming just kind of this larger force for better and worse. And so I definitely wanted to hit on those those topics. And before we go even further into this, because there's, I know we don't have as much time as I would <laughs> as I could potentially spend on this. Three hours. I, I feel, exactly. I feel like I'm really having like a 30-year conversation. I know, in, yeah. In an hour-long podcast. But you talk about how you felt using the term female rapper. Right. And for a long time, as I talk through this, I don't want to make it seem as if I have not been a part of all of the problems that you described in the book, mm-hmm. right? So like me in 2021, it's not, me in 1993, right? Like a total right, same different yeah. person. So I remember when people started talking about is female rapper even, is it a good term, a bad term? My first inclination was it's just the term. Like I didn't see mm-hmm. the problem with it as mm-hmm. a term. And so I want to give you an opportunity to share and explain why that term is problematic and how do we work through this, that notion of separation? Well, I would really love for artists, for the women who are rapping to kind of have this conversation. Like I would love to have like women from the older generation and the newer generation really kind of like sit down and talk about something like this. Cause I'm curious how they feel. Cause that's the kind of the most important thing is like how they want to be like what they want to call themselves. Because I did notice that like some of the newer women, like they don't mind being called female rappers. I think Megan the Stallion has kind of said something along those lines. But the thing is, are you calling them that and then also putting them in a separate category or labeling them as inferior? And that's when it gets dicey and becomes an issue because they're women and they rap like they're women rappers. So, but one of the arguments, or I guess one of the kind of statements I make is that it's such a double-edged sword or catch-22 because you have rappers and then you have this creation of like female rappers. And because of that, like women, in a way, like the label helps to kind of like make sure that certain people get recognition. So it's like the first female rapper to do this, the first female rapper to do this in the larger kind of like category of rap, they would not have gotten noticed without those labels. At the same time, the reason the label exists is because (laughs) of how the culture is set up and how this music industry is set up. And so it's kind of like a just circle and similar to how I guess people, there was this conversation about like the actor, actress. And um, I think most of the time now we just refer to everyone as like actor. And there was this talk about like combining the categories so that it was just one best actor and it was like all genders. And it's such a hard thing. Like I, that's such an ideal world (laughs) view to kind of like have just one category, but the way the world is, and it would end up being men all the time. Like the best actor would end up being men. Like there's other things that you have to change to actually make that change like 
real and like viable. So it's kind of basically there are things like within the music industry, within hip hop that still need to change for women to be for that female rapper kind of like separateness to kind of like really be done away with because people do still see separate like Cardi B, Sweetie, Megan. It's like, oh, they're it's like the hottest female rapper right now. And then it's like the hottest rapper is like, you know, I don't know, the baby, whatever. And it's like Cardi and Megan are like the hottest rappers right now. Like we can say that, but you know, I think it's people still see it like so separately. So that's the issue that it needs to kind of a way of seeing that like in my mind, I just always thought of Cardi as like when she was having her moment, she's still having her moment as like the top rapper, like in the game because people love like ranking, (laughs) you know, obviously you can have more than one, (laughs) but as the like, highest selling most kind of like number one songs all of that she was having back-to-back number one song and it's like if you don't acknowledge that and you kind of put like i don't know someone else over her as the kind of like hottest or most popular rapper right now like that is saying a lot and i think like that's where the issue comes in if that makes sense yeah absolutely and i actually was going to ask like do you think that hip-hop when it comes to women who rap has like what I call like the outlander syndrome where there can only be one, um, right? Like we could have any number of different male rappers and groups or what have you, but right. at any one moment with some exceptions, which we'll kind of get into as, as we start to break down individual, primarily there's one that can be great at a time and then they fall off and then someone else takes their place. Do you think that's still running through Hip hop? I think it's becoming less so. Like, definitely historically, you know, it's been this competition, even if there is like a couple of women, like a little Kim and Foxy, it's like at the same time, dominating at the same time. It is that whole there can only be one mentality. That was actually a title that I considered for the book. There can only be one as a kind of like tongue in cheek, or because I was highlighting so many women. I thought about using that as kind of like a play or whatever, like there can only be one, but here are like a ton. <laughs> and so that went with the mother world. But um, I definitely think that post Nikki, that has not like one woman kind of like in rap reigning has been less even less feasible, less practical. There's too many to kind of only give the pass the buck to one of them. Basically, there are just like too many to even ignore. And so when you reach that point, it's like you can't even still use that rubric anymore because you do have Cardi and Megan on a song together or like a Nicki and Doja Cat like on a song together. And these songs are going number one. And there's clearly kind of like a multitude happening. And hopefully it's kind of stays that way. I hope there's not another drought like there was pre-Nikki. I don't think there will be, but nothing ever surprises me. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that like fans or like, I'll just say like hip hop, like the world of hip hop, mm-hmm. the way in which they kind of think about these things doesn't give the women in the industry the same grace that it gives men. And my example would be, you know, if you have someone like Azalea Banks, right? Like she is 
you know, has tirades on social. People would say her personality is erratic. I'm trying to not use other words since I have no doctorate in anything. right? Right, Right. And then people like Kanye, who are just as erratic, they're seen, mm-hmm. even though everyone gets kind of trash, but he's somewhat seen as like some mercurial genius. And someone like her is just seen as, however, all the things that people will say online. And it just seems to me there's always a reason to try to break down a woman who is a rapper, right? If she's mm-hmm. selling records, the records are pop. If she's selling records because, oh, she's selling sex and she's not really a good MC. We're just like how she looks or whatever it is, or she doesn't write her lyrics or it just always seems like there's something. And so I wonder like, how do we confront that in order to make this a better space for women to be creators? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's about realizing your innate bias or kind of like realizing like what you're starting point is because for example when people kind of talk about their top five mcs it's rarely are there women in that top five and then rarely are there is there like more than one woman and it's kind of like why not your top five is your top five it's your personal like you know it doesn't have to be what the culture kind of like decides like who the culture decides should be in that group of people or whatever. But you still do end up hearing the same names when people kind of talk about who are your top five MCs. So I think that's kind of one thing to just think about, like where, you know, obviously people grew up because hip hop was, you know, mostly men. Of course, they're going to grow up and like their tops are going to be like mostly guys. And so that's to start with, it's going is you know, like that's hard to change. So I'm not saying that, but I do think recognizing it and how, you know, basically how your top five came to be is important, you know, and you can't think about that top five without thinking about the women, because if you have Biggie in there, Little Kim is part of his legacy and he's part of hers and it's, you know, Junior Mafia and like many of the things he did, like it wouldn't be the same if he didn't have her kind of making them look good and making them kind of like sound good and like having that diversity of sound. So, you know, you have to consider that. And then it's kind of like, well, why not put Kim in your top five? So that's kind of one thing, just kind of thinking about the historical, thinking about how hip hop history has been told and how some of it might be skewed. I think like complex to this list of the top rapper for every year recently, I forget like what the range was. But obviously, like it was predominantly like men. I kind of expected to scroll down and see like Cardi in the latter years at least, or like a Megan. But it was like I think Baby, and even then it was kind of like, how is Cardi not like the top rapper for one of these recent years? <laughs> and so I don't, you know, like that is something to kind of like think about, you know, like why wouldn't. I'm sure it was like lots of debates and things like that. So like, I know how these things happen. These lists happen. But like, I just like, to me, like that's, it's about kind of like thinking about like your bias and like how, what you consider to be, I guess, like written in stone, how that might be skewed because the things that are written in stone are also written by men. So that's something to kind of like, just think about. 
And, you know, obviously you're renowned journalist, you've written and write for everybody, you've studied this stuff deeply. Do you think it's, is it all just bringing more like aesthetics of a woman's perspective and fandom and centering that in order to change the conversation? Is that a helpful part of it? Or is there mm-hmm. something else we have to unpack here? Because I remember just tangentially somebody, I don't remember who was like making some kind of comment about Cardi B and how she sounds like other mm-hmm. women. And then she said, you know, all these dudes sound alike too, right? Like she's like, I can't tell one person from another, but yet no one makes that sort of critique when it's met, right? And I well, wonder, heard, like, yes, yeah. I've heard the whole like mumble rap, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, from what, like older hip hop heads are like, they all like, I can't understand what they're saying, and like, it's you know, so like, I get that, yeah, sorry, I cut you off. That. No, 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 that's generally where I was going. Like, how do we bring more critique, okay, that is more balanced mm-hmm. into the equation so the lists don't all look and sound and feel the same. And I want to like hold myself accountable, right? Because my top five, I don't have a woman rapper in it. Right, right? Right. If someone were to ask me, I have one mm-hmm. high in my list, well, but not my top five. Maybe Lauren Hill. Or oh, actually Queen Latifah. Okay. Well, yeah. That's, yeah. We're going to do uh, a whole thing about I, Queen Latifah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So we'll get to that. Yeah. So I think, I mean, yes, it's like having staffs that are you know, have women, Black women. I mean, this is an issue across journalism and media. It's just that staffs are not diverse and that that does affect taste making. And it affects like what people decide is worth checking out or what people, what these publications decide is like just worthy. Like that ends up coloring it, like literally. And so that is one thing. And then valuing different types of, like valuing the critique also. I just think of like how... Like for boy bands, their fan bases were mostly like teen girls. And just the kind of, I guess, belittling or kind of like lack of respect, I guess, that comes with a teen girl being a fan of a boy band. Like a lot of times it was kind of like, oh, like I don't trust your taste. Like you like sync or like you kind of, you're like fangirling over, you know, Backstreet Boys. And like it's, they're not valuing like the, basically the musical credibility of like a teen girl who has taste in music and loves these bands for different reasons and like different respectable like musical reasons not just because like they're cute teen girls are or you know like at that point like that's the kind of like people like they know what moves music and so similar to that like you know for fans of like uh megan like her, the hotties or whatever the hottie brigade you know, like they know what they like, but I think sometimes people look at those fan bases as just kind of rabid pro cheer, just like cheerleading all the time. But I don't think that that's the entire fan bases. Like, you know, you obviously always have people who are like going too far, doing the most. And we do have like the stand culture is like out of control. <laughs> but, you know, like there are a lot of her fans who just are rap fans and they're like hip hop fans. And it's kind of like you can take them. It's OK to take them seriously and to not kind of just look at them as stands, basically. So it's a hard thing to kind of, the internet kind of groups everyone together. So it's hard to kind of <laughs> have these, these uh, like, you know, the separation. I think, I don't know, those are kind of like a couple things. I just think like re-examining like how you are viewing the world. Obviously, like that has been 
what 2020 and like this year is about. It's kind of like, let me think about how I have traditionally or historically thought about the world, about women or about kind of like capitalism or about how things operate and maybe try to kind of have a different or tweak my worldview or kind of, so I think people could do that with hip hop. It's kind of like open up, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hip hop, like you said at the beginning, this is a, each story kind of gives you a snapshot into a particular moment in time, what was happening. And, you know, for some of us, it is pure nostalgia for others. It's like true, like opening up a history book Mm -hmm. and getting a sense of things that happened in some places, you know, 30 to 40 years ago. Right. So what was great as I opened the book initially was it reminded me and really actually gave a name to a lot of women that I just didn't even know. Mm -hmm. So even though like I would say like hearing like Planet Rock for the first time was mind altering, right? It changed the trajectory of what I think of as music. There were women in those stories too, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, but the, yeah, but the first woman that really is anchored in my mind is Roxanne Shantae. Mm -hmm. And so I think she's a great place to kind of start a little bit of this piece of the conversation because her rise is also connected to UTFO and their song, obviously. Right. Right. And so in this moment with all of her talent and ability and skill, she is still connected to UTFO and not many people really are Mm -hmm. on UTFO like that. Like I think her legacy (laughs) has far outshone that of UTFO despite having that big song. So I wanted to start there to kind of get your thoughts on her in particular, her legacy for many people who might've come to her, not through her music. Maybe they came to her through the Netflix movie or what have you, because I think she's such a seminal figure in hip hop. Yeah. Maxine Chante. She was also one of the earlier, you know, I like, I kind of got into hip hop more through like, you know, in the nineties, mid nineties, I was a teen through like the Missy's and Kim's. And, um, you know, I was super into salt and Peppa, and I kind of went back a little bit and cause MC light was she like, she was kind of in a different era at that or phase at that point in the nineties. And so like, I wasn't a fan of hers, like from the beginning, you know, whereas I was a fan of like Kim from the beginning. So, you know, I kind of like people like MC light and Queen Latifah kind of seeped in into my kind of upbringing and Roxanne Chante also. I kind of, I did not obviously grow up knowing her, but then I knew about Roxanne's Revenge. I got a chance to interview her really early on in my career when she opened like an ice cream shop in Queens. <laughs> and I went to the ice cream shop. I'm from Queens. I pitched the story and went to the ice cream shop and like really talked to her. I just remember she had like pictures of different hip hop legends on the walls, like framed. And she had hired young like high schoolers to run the shop because she wanted to kind of like give them jobs and, you know, some kind of real world experience. And talking to her then, actually, like I kind of got to know her story a little more in a way that I hadn't before. I was probably like early 20s or so. And, you know, like she is from Queens, Queensbridge, grew up battle rapping and kind of building a name at what, 13, like super young when you really think about it. In general, people, there were like boys and girls making hip hop. (laughs) Like these were teens 
kind of creating this culture like that in itself is amazing. And then when you think about the fact that part of that, that teenage girls were creating, like, there was no name for hip hop in those 70s. And they were making it like battle rapping, you know, obviously, like people were doing response records and things like that. She put it on a physical record and turned it into like a phenomenon. And people were responding to her and, you know, kind of turning it into this basically like a moment in time. And so I think just thinking about her impact and her being considered basically the first female rap star, another, you know, title that is helps to give her recognition, but is also separate. It's like thinking about her impact, you really do kind of one, just think about just how much weight that is for, you know, she's like a young girl trying to kind of make it in this. It wasn't even so much an industry in what, like the early 80s. Like it was just beginning to become like a business, basically. And so she's kind of trying to make it and as a teenager and being compared to the boys and kind of like being in this really highly competitive space, like that's a lot to deal with. And I think a lot of what the biopic covered was that. And also I'm pretty sure the first like prominent biopic of a female rapper, and that was only like two years ago, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's not that long ago. Yeah. Shows how young the culture is and how these stories are just starting to be told. And how there was, I think, what, Notorious, the Tupac biopic, straight out of Compton. Like, it took yeah. a, a minute to get to, like, the women, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then we got this and, like, Salt and Pepper's biopic, and we'll get more. Like, I'm sure we'll get more. And that's important to kind of, like, telling a story like Roxanne's, because she gets to, you know, like, I, like, hate writing fluff stories. I don't like doing things that are just for, like, publicity for an artist or doing something that's just purely yeah. fluff. The thing about biopics is that, yes, like they, like she gets to control the story. But if you think about her not being able to sort of control the story before then, it is a different, it's a type of power that I don't sort of mind. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, because it's like her trying to, like getting to even just tell her story is like an accomplishment is what I say in the book. So obviously like biopics, when the artist is involved, it can be like, oh, you miss. A lot of, like, you yeah. missed a lot. They tell only the best parts <laughs> of their own story or some right, of the more exactly. flattering parts of their own story. Right, exactly. And so that still happens. I think one of the things with, like, when it comes to, like, these women's stories is that with her and, like, Salt and Peppa, the fact that they're getting it out there so people know, like, that is kind of like a, just a, I don't know, celebration in itself or just kind of yeah. something to acknowledge. Yeah. You know, I want to jump to... You know, I went like off. (laughs) No, no, no. It's all good. You know, because it's it's a lot to cover with her. Right. And she. Right. Right. She's owed that. And a lot of people link MC Light and Queen Latifah together. Mm -hmm. Right. Like you talk about this notion of there's usually a yin and a yang. Right. And in a weird way, I actually don't link them as much together Mm -hmm. as much as I actually, and this is just a reflection of me as a fan at that time, right? So high school Mm -hmm. days and Salt and Pepper was really junior high school for me, but Mm -hmm. I think of more Salt and Pepper MC Light together, you know, because again, these are just my reflections at that time. Like Salt and Pepper felt like your sister's older friends and MC Light felt like just the homie. And Mm -hmm. some of that was look and style, which also factors into it. And I think kind of going back to my particular moment, I felt like MC Light was the lyricist 
as compared to salt and pepper. Like salt and pepper make really good songs. You know, just just my perception of it. But MC Light yeah, was that. like the lyricist, right? So if I think about something like self destruction, I think outside of Miss Melody, she was the only woman on the record, which mm-hmm. in my mind was proof that she was dope <laughs> as compared to others, rightly or wrongly, right? So I want to give space for you to kind of talk about both of them because I feel they had somewhat similar evolutions. Like MC Light in the 90s, I think leaned more into not being sexual, but definitely being less, I'm sorry, I'm using terrible words, but less a tomboy. Yes, and, more R&B. Yeah, that's better. Sorry, <laughs> more, kind of, more R&B is a... I mean, R&B is like sexy music, so yeah. And Salt and Pepper did the same with empowerment, but also leaned more into a look that was more glam as compared to Mm -hmm. their first videos, which was even more around the way, but cool, right? So (laughs) I want to know what you kind of think about that as I fumbled through my teen years. (laughs) Right, and that transition was part of the kind of evolution of women, basically where you could start off just making cool music and like looking cool. And then there was that shift definitely with Kim and mid nineties where image like being sexy, that became part of the salesmanship, partly because people knew it would sell. When MC Light and Queen Latifah saw in Peppa, that was an era where being anti-misogyny, there was like commercial popular appeal and hip hop appeal for that type of music or demand for that type of music. And I think there was definitely a shift. And that's when you start seeing people kind of like changing their image up a little bit. And where the fan doesn't see like the behind the scenes things happening where someone's like, well, let's see how this looks on you. (laughs) Or let's kind of like, we need to switch it up because like, you know, we want men to love you. And you know, like that's what a lot of the artists who I spoke to said that it was like people would just be like, We want you to appeal to like men. And so if you're looking like a tomboy, you know, like you're not appealing to men or some way. So I think that basically like that plays into MC Light's kind of like she was still MC Light. But yeah, doing the song with uh like Escape and you know, sort of a slinkier sound, you know, uh, which I like, I love, uh, keep, I'm going to botch the title, but like, keep on, yeah, keep on, keep, keep on. Yeah. 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 And it's a dope track. Yeah. Like, I <laughs> love that song. But yeah, even like Debrat, like, I start her entry off talking about how, <laughs> you know, like, she basically went from like super oversized clothing to then like wearing the bikini in the video with uh, Tyrese and, she has talked about how, you know, that being kind of like part of the job, so to speak, like the shift to kind of like try to sell like a sexier image. And so that is something that as women in hip hop, like they had to actively think about and consider and either choose to do it or not, or, you know, kind of face the repercussions if they didn't want to. So I think, you know, none of that is new, but all of that plays into kind of still happening in different ways or I think the what I wanted to do with the book is kind of lay it out so that you kind of see those threads throughout mm-hmm. time and you see kind of how the whole thing of like the more things change, the more they kind of stay the same. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah. And then MC Light kind of being one of those artists who that's the whole kind of nice for a girl thing, too. Like there's um one part of the I think, yeah, like in her entry where I say, you know, like being selling sex and being nice for a girl are still both things that like appeal to men 
So it was kind of like something to think about, you know, skills like, oh, she's so dope. Like, how is she like a woman who raps well? <laughs> like, it's kind of crazy to think about. It's like, if you think about it as like in the actor, actress kind of category again, would people be like, oh, she's like a woman who acts well? Like, yeah. wow. Like, you know, like it's just, and it, that's kind of what was happening though. Like same with, you know, Foxy and a, like phenomenon for them to be like to rap well or to like be pretty and rap well. <laughs> and, yeah. It's like you got to make you know. a choice <laughs> between right, the, right, between yeah. these realities. And I want to jump to Queen Latifah because as I said, mm-hmm. I'm a huge Queen Latifah fan and she just has seemed to me to be a trailblazer in the industry on so many levels. And again, I'm going to do the sort of thing that we've been talking about, which is one of the things that I thought was most interesting about her is a lot of women who rap, they were not produced so much, but they were linked to men. Right. So Little Kim was kind of brought out by Biggie and even Foxy had was linked to like Jay-Z. And, you know, there's a bunch of different things going on there. And what I always admired about Queen Latifah was that she brought out Naughty by Nature, right? Like she brought out <laughs> Apache. Like she was the one that was kind of fronting other- Using her name. Using her name, <laughs> using her crew to bring out men, which was something that at least I was not aware of. Maybe it happened in other instances mm. that I didn't know. But so I want to give a little bit of space for you to kind of reflect on her and what she meant, has meant and continues to mean as a rapper, as an actress, as a singer, yeah. you know, kind of like, I don't know what she can't do. So, <laughs> yeah, people forget she sings <laughs> like It's All Right, like her song, It's All Right, which I like mentioned. It's like one of my favorite songs of hers. And she's just like a, an R&B Latifah song. You know, I think she definitely represents that idea of longevity in hip hop in general. You know, when people kind of think about who has had a long career and who was like, part of fabric of hip hop from relatively the beginning. Like you think about people like Queen Latifah and Will Smith, like maybe people don't necessarily remember his like rap career, but he's still going. And, you know, someone like a Snoop Dogg, people who kind of started out in rap and like diversify their portfolios. And she's definitely like in that pool. And part of it is unfortunately like she's like rap went to the, back burner for her so she wasn't like steadily releasing rap albums like a Snoop Dogg or you know because he's you know like reinvented and kind of like tried to stay the rap course you know like throughout his career she has said like she loves rapping but never like fall out of love with it or whatever but definitely moved into like film and like beauty you know and cosmetics and you know now she's back on tv and I think we have to think about how major That is just for her to have this career like from late 80s to like just decades of relevance and kind of cultural dominance and consistent, really steady work. Yeah. Like a Samuel Jackson or whatever, like she gets consistent work in Hollywood and elsewhere. And that's not easy for women. Like it's not Nicki Minaj has talked about this, how she wants she wanted to have like a career she could sustain because so many women just kind of ended up just kind of being left behind or not having that longevity in the same way that Nas can have. Or, you know, like there is in the same way that there's, you know, the whole glass ceiling, like for women in the workplace, where you feel like you can only get so high up at every level, you have to work 
much harder <laughs> the male counterparts you know it's the same way with hip-hop like for women in rap like it's just like so hard to kind of keep that longevity and part of that is that there are just so few who get elevated yeah and you know Latifa is representative of someone who kind of like broke past and you know it would be great if she were still kind of like putting out steady rap albums or steady just like music in general so she's a little bit of a different case but still I think that someone like Nikki will be that person who will probably still be doing music and all these other things and have a really long career and Cardi like I foresee her still you know putting out albums and now she's getting into film a lot and so like I think that basically Latifah's blueprint like her template was really important to kind of setting up that you know just kind of like showing how you could have like extended career yeah absolutely um, yeah you know she was on Rhapsody's most recent record as well like she mm-hmm. did a guest spot on that a, a record that I wore into the ground I thought it that yes. year was the best <laughs> I thought it was the best record that year mm. actually that rhapsody record so shout out to rhapsody i'm not sure yeah, she's listening, but still nonetheless <laughs> maybe, if, maybe. if you are listening we love your music and you mentioned nikki you mentioned cardi b they've come up in conversation and i see such a bridge to them not that i want to skip over all the women that have mm-hmm. rapped in between these years but with little kim and foxy to Nicki minaj and cardi b like, it's not a straight line, right. but there are a lot of, I think, overlays and similarities and things that we could sort of point to. And I want to give, you know, unfair with the time left to kind of lump them all together like that, because <clears throat> we haven't touched on Missy and we haven't touched on Lauren Hill. Mm-hmm. And I also want to give a, another allowance for my regionalism. I'm a Brooklyn kid. Oh, and yeah. You know, I got to admit a lot of the women who rap that are like from the South that you highlighted, they were never really my thing, but I will lean on the regionalness of that rather than the gender. (laughs) Yeah, no, I learned a lot. Some exceptions, like I liked rage, I liked here and there, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't like East Coast was just always my thing. And everybody who knows me knows that to be true. So, you know, not saying that I'm no credit, but I'm less knowledgeable about their impact and all the rest of it. So this has actually been an opportunity for me to learn more. But jumping back to Kim, Foxy, Nicki Minaj, and Cardi B, like what are like kind of the through lines that you see there? Because I feel like there's such connective tissue. Yeah. And one of them is what you mentioned about like just having, um, coming into the game, like at least publicly being recognized like through a man, you know, like Kim and Foxy and to a degree Nikki through Lil Wayne. You can see that kind of gradually being ripped apart a little bit or like with the kind of um, DIY era that becoming less of a, I don't want to say necessity, but you know, like there's just another option for someone like Cardi to just put out Instagram videos without having someone have to approve it. (laughs) And that someone most likely being a man in the industry or male A&R figure or something. So like you see that kind of, um, you know, those kind of lines dissipate a little bit. Like they have, how do I say this? I do think like in terms of image, you can kind of see how, you know, like Little Kim, like there's so many artists kind of like made in her image. And I don't want to say that as like a copying thing. It's just 
that she did really kind of her popularity and like the the high fashion, the wigs that we see now, like people, you know, don't realize that really was a thing that she kind of like popularized and, and hip hop. And like, just so there's that kind of like just the style and image kind of thread that goes throughout, like they're all like stylish and they all kind of really have focused on, you know, had some sort of like fashion kind of inclination or like desire to kind of like present like a stylish image, so to speak. And, you know, you kind of see just how image itself has evolved (laughs) to where this era of the, you know, Nikki Cardi just kind of has that like that middle person isn't there to say, well, I won't say they're not there because they still have people (laughs) and reps and things like that. But they have access, direct access to fans. And I know that gets, you know, repeated a lot. And but I do think there is so much. There is a lot of power for, again, for better or worse, in women specifically being able to just put out their own image without clearance or without kind of like present how they want to look or present how they want to sound or put out like a two minute video on Instagram or TikTok or Instagram Live. And that becomes like their identity versus someone kind of being like, okay, like we're going to shape you this way and like go this way. So you kind of can see how that trend has evolved, you know, like through these different women. If you kind of, yeah, just kind of look at it, you can see. Yeah. You know, there's so much, like I said, we could have had like a multiple, multiple hour conversation. Yeah. Maybe a part two later. Yeah. We got to do a part two because, you know, we didn't touch on so many artists that I love, you know, someone like Missy and Lauren Hill and, yeah, You know, I even had some notes to talk about Sister Soldier as kind of like this mm-hmm. lightning rod and how easy it was to sort of attack and kind of vilify a Black woman in a highly contested mm-hmm. political campaign. So screw you, Bill Clinton. That was fucked up. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and we didn't even get to all the new rappers, some of my favorites, like my radical revolutionary, like No Name and Bahamadia mm-hmm. that I loved. And, you know, there's a ton, right? So Chica is great. She's like a lot of like, it's so interesting, like how there's this kind of um, shift toward the rap singing and like being, you know, that kind of double threat of rapping and singing and melody being just part of like every rapper sings. And, you know, like I talk about some of that through Lauren Hill, mm-hmm. like the entry on her and how she kind of just that album, just defying expectations for like a hip hop album and being, you know, just like <laughs> the epitome of, well, you do both of these things really well, like rapping and singing. And like that, you know, being like a stunning kind of thing. And just to kind of touch on Missy a little bit, like she brought that avant-garde nature to hip hop. And yeah. that was as much as, you know, someone like Buster Rhymes with his videos or, you know, like people remember Missy for her videos and all these music videos that you see now that kind of look like, you know, they're weird and different, like, you know, Travis Scott and like, that's Missy's DNA is like in all of that. Yeah. So I want people to kind of remember that, that like, you know, she made this weirdness in hip hop and eccentricity cool. And she made it kind of like, oh, I want to, you know, that's that unpredictable. And she's another one that can, you know, she can rap, she can sing, she can produce, she can songwrite. Right, right. Like, put her she, in a room by herself. Like she could dance, something crazy. <laughs> right, like she could do everything. Mm-hmm. And for a minute, she was on every remix, every yeah. 
mixtape you got had like two, three, four Missy features. Right. You know, like that was guaranteeing you a shot in the club if you had Missy on your joint. So, you know, these artists are amazing. The book is amazing. So I want to get to Off the Dome and I just have a few. So my first Off the Dome and you obviously get the conceit of what the questions are going to be like, right? If you had to make a lineup for all-star posse cut among the rappers you featured in the book, what would be your three or four posse cut? Oh, that's so good. You could pick anybody, any era. Okay. No, I'll do Lauren, Cardi, MC Light, and I have to put Kim in there. I mean, I would put like five more (laughs) for the sake of this. For for posse Um, cut, not the new Wu-Tang, you know? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And another question, similar, but a little different. What track that is a kind of seminal hip hop track that is affiliated with the male rapper, would you love to have a woman ride on that track? Oh, hmm. that is a great one. Maybe, well, have to be one guy, because I'm thinking of like ice cream, Mm -hmm. but that's like a group of people. That counts. That counts. There's only three of them on that track. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. I would love to hear, (laughs) yeah, like a new, I would love to hear one of the new women kind of like take that and go crazy. All right. All right. Maybe like a TR whack or like, that'll be insane. (laughs) That's a a dope track. Ice cream is, you can just, anytime you can just bang the instrumental, you know, you know, it's a dope track. Right. Or Shook Ones is another good one. Uh, Like classic instrumental. So the minute you say Shook Ones, I hear it. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. (laughs) And this last one is kind of a twofer. Who do you think is the most underrated of the women that you featured in the book? And who do you think mm-hmm. is the most overrated of the oh, women you featured in the book? I don't know the most, but one of, I would say Lady of Rage. She was just so dope and just really did not get the time to shine or opportunity to shine. Like in her moment, she could have and should have. Maybe even coming out today, she would have more just because there's more kind of opportunity and options. Like she would, someone like that coming out today would have more kind of opportunity uh overrated is a tough one and it's not personal it's just music talk. oh you know what <laughs> i'm gonna go with because this is the answer no one will get mad at is iggy azalea <laughs> and she's in i know sorry <laughs> she's in uh like a roundup and actually like i thought about doing like you know should i get write a longer piece on her but i already did like a reported piece about making and I'm making a biggie. And I was like, I don't really want to write about her. So yeah, the less said about her, the better. <laughs> Sorry. I know that doesn't count as overrated, but I don't know. No, um, that's, that's fair. I'm not going to hold you to the fine. I would yeah. have a hard time answering that as I well. Know, I'm laying through and like, I really don't, I can't think of anyone who was. Cause I think people, maybe they're just not in the book. <laughs> yeah, there's some people who are great, but they're not as great as people Make the mouth. Right? So that's when I say overrated, that's what I mean. I don't mean like they're overrated, like they suck. I just mean like, okay, they'd be like way over the top with the praise when it's like kind of like, oh, they're they all right. Calm down. <laughs> you know? All right. I want to know who you're talking about. <laughs> so those are my off the dome. So I want to get to the drop okay. where I'll give a drop, you can give a drop, and drops could be anything. So I can go okay. first, you can go first. It's up to you. You go first so I can. Okay. My, my drop is actually in line 
with what we've been talking about, which is Queen Latifah's Black Rain, which is one of my favorite mm. records. And it's most known for you and ITY. Um, I think it's kind of like the biggest single from that record. But the songs that I really love on there is like Just Another Day, which I use and sing all the time. So people who know me, I always refer to Just Another Day, Living in the Hood, you know? <sighs> yes, I love Weekend Love, Winky's Theme. And Winky's Theme was, I think, the first time I really heard her sing, sing, like on something that wasn't like a hip hop club hybrid song or not an R&B type of joint. It was like just a jazz record, a tribute to her brother. And it's a record that I bang all the time. I love Black Rain. So Black Rain by Queen Latifah is my drop. Okay. Yeah, that's a great one. My drop is Nikki D. Daddy's Little Girl. She was one that I hadn't really known as much about. First female rapper signed to Def Jam. I went back and listened to the album, which I hadn't listened to before. And it was just, you know, I was like, oh, this could come out now. <laughs> like, this, is, it's, you know, I think go back and maybe listen to the album on Spotify, see what you think. And, you know, like she was kind of maybe a bit ahead of her time, just kind of in terms of pro-women anthems and, you know, really kind of like rapping deeply about like issues like specific to women, you know. So I highly recommend just kind of like checking that out. Yeah, that's a dope record and one that I haven't spent a lot of time with since it came out. But I remember when it did come out and Cass was excited about it, right? Like it was a kind of a grimy might not be the right word, but it was like <laughs> a no holds barred kind right, of Right, exactly. Yeah. It was big on like a lot of like underground radio shows, but it mm-hmm. never seemed to pop commercial. So and right. it's, it's a record I haven't listened to in probably decades, right? So mm-hmm. I'm going to check that one out myself. So that's an awesome drop. Yeah. So this has been great. You know, I'm, we barely scratched the surface, but the book is one that's going to be on my coffee table for like ever going forward. Amazing. And I want to keep going back to it. And, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm always down for that part two where you can spend more time on and just have a, a deeper conversation. But I want to thank you so much for being on the deep dive with me. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, and you can get the book anywhere, bookstores, online. Thank you so much. And it is a beautiful book. So you'll be buying history and buying something that is visually striking. Believe me, you won't be able to stop flipping through it. All right. So thank you again for being on The Deep Dive. It's been a pleasure having Clover Hope join me on The Deep Dive. You can listen to The Deep Dive via Apple Podcasts and our website, thedeepdivepod.com. Download, subscribe, listen, and share. If you like what you're hearing and enjoy what me and the team are putting together, then leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow me on Twitter via at FarFlungPhil. To all my listeners, wherever you are in the world, I thank you. See you on the other side.